Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, Lucas sits down with Jay Ginnanen, the founder and president of FinderWrench, a firm that focuses on finding technicians and mechanics for dealerships, fleets, and independent repair shops all over the country. Jay and Lucas discuss the technician shortage, what they think is causing it, and the steps they're taking to remedy the situation. As a recruiter, Jay has particular insight into the unique challenges independent repair shops are facing as it relates to career progression, onboarding, and compensation packages. But before we get into the conversation, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. Also, make sure you're set to download the latest episode. If you're listening on YouTube, stop what you're doing and hit that subscribe button. It only takes a second and really helps us out. Once we hit a certain subscriber count, YouTube opens up a bunch of great tools for our channel. So if you like this type of content, we would really appreciate your help. And now that we're through all that, here we go. Jay, what's up, my man? How you been doing? Good. How are you guys? I'm living the dream, buddy. I am nice. absolutely living the dream. I don't know if you've ever met David. David is a good friend of mine. We started the podcast a while back because we wanted to give uh, other shop owners kind of a, an inside look. You know, one of the things that we always did when we went to a training event or we went out and did something. Um, is it was so cool to hear other shop owners talk about what they were experiencing. And, uh, you know, pandemic and all, we didn't get that opportunity. Yeah. So it's been really cool to, to be able to just talk so other shop owners can experience and, and hear some of our stories and hear what we go through so they know they're not alone. And, and we really appreciate you being here tonight. Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, from as far as me and my, I guess, who I am, uh, my name is Jay Gadinen. I am the founder and president of a company called Finder Wrench. And then I'm also the co-founder and president of a company called Wrenchway. 
both companies are really dedicated to finding techs for shops all over the country. Um, I guess I'll, uh, I'll kind of dive into how that came about. I grew up in a small independent shop up here in Wisconsin, and it, uh, it you know, I started there at the age of nine uh, by filling out, uh, well, scheduling, uh, filling out deposit slips, answering the phone, doing whatever I could to help out. My dad started the business with not a lot of money, and so it really came down to just trying to help him out, right? Because he's working like 16 hour days and just trying to right. keep his head above water. And so I started at a really, really young age. Uh, as I got older, went into the shop, um, you know, went to tech school, came back, found out that I was a terrible technician. <laughs> and so I, I went from uh, just always know, like when I was in my teens, just thinking, okay, you know what? I'm just going to be a tech. I'm always going to be a tech and I love it. And then when I found out I wasn't very good at it, that was kind of uh, a little dose of reality. So um, that actually kind of, it was a blessing in disguise because it pushed me off into different types of management and sales types of roles. And it also got me out of my hometown, which I thought was really important because I grew up in a really small town. And to be able to go out and experience kind of the world and the industry and see that some of the issues that my dad was having weren't exclusive to him, right? There was a lot of the same issue throughout the entire industry. Every stop I had uh, was having trouble finding techs. And and so um, that's really what led me to uh, starting FinderWrench in 2017. And really it was coming from the industry side, I didn't have recruiting experience. Uh, it was more of, hey, I know there's a big problem here. How are we going to solve it? And so Really, uh, kind of was able to hire some really, really key people around me that are still with me to this day. Extremely talented people, and um, and our our product has evolved. Uh, we launched the platform Wrenchway, and I guess the rest is history. Well, very cool, and and you know, I I think it is such a uh, well rounded topic. You know, everybody's always talking about. Hiring techs, hiring techs, and and you know they they always talk about um, the technician shortage. So people laugh at me because I always put the technician shortage in quotation marks. Like, <laughs> are, are we really experiencing a technician shortage? And is this something new, or is this something that's been happening for years? Right? Because yeah. I remember you know two thousand seven, two thousand eight, trying to find somebody. It was tough then. Um, do you think it's gotten worse, or is it the same it's always been? Well, the funny part about just to, a, a quick story, uh, when we, st the, the name find a wrench is actually kind of a play on words from uh, my dad when I was a kid. So when you talk about, is this a new thing or has it been happening for a long time? My right. dad used to come home at night and say, I can't find a darn wrench anywhere. And of right. course he was referring to a tech, right? And so it's not new. I think it's gotten worse. Uh, and I think it's just, I don't even know from the standpoint that it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's always been a pain point, but I think as technology grows, as you know, it gets to be a more complicated job. Uh, right. that's where I think we're, we're seeing that gap and, and it's, uh, there's some truly talented folks in shops and even, you know, that's no discredit to old school mechanics either. Right. Because some of the people that I looked up to the most when I was growing up were those people that could diagnose, you know, 
a timing issue just by putting their ear over by the engine, right? And, right, and right. Uh, so I always- Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to my shop, and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Looked up to them, but I do think it, it as cars evolved, so did the need for a more diverse talent set of people coming into the industry. And so I think that's a, a big piece of what happened was you know, we kind of took that for granted. And then as it got more and more complicated, it got tougher and tougher to find people. Right. It really did. And I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that we constantly hear. And, and, you know, we've just done this series where we're talking to technicians about what's the problem. What do you want in a shop? What What is it that we're really missing right now mm-hmm. that's keeping you, you know, because the reality of it is, is we're seeing really good techs stay in really bad shops. And we're seeing yeah. really good shops that can't find techs to save their lives. And we're kind of sitting here going, you know, what gives? Like, wh- why are you staying in this hack shop? Mm-hmm. And and we're kind of trying to dig in and understand what it is they want. You know, this conversation between you and I and, and David kind of came up because I was talking to Tanner a while back. Yeah. And Tanner shared some of their perspective or some of the numbers about the, the World Pack training. And he said, you know, we're doing all these webinars. And basically what it came down to was, is why is there only 10% of the attendees to these webinars are between 18 and 49? And they said, you know, are we doing something wrong in marketing? Where are we missing the ball? And somebody in the back of the room stood up and said, uh, that's all there is. He's what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's all there is, bro. I mean, that's all that is (laughs) in our industry. (laughs) Sorry. That is scary. That is terrifying. And, and, you know, so Tanner and I continued to delve into that topic and he said, look, he said, here's the thing is that of all of that, you've got to sit back and think about the fact that only 10% of the automotive industry trains as a whole when talking about independence, right? Mm-hmm. Only 10% are active in training. And of those 10%, there's probably what, three, four, 5% that are really taking that to the next level, building systems, processes, and procedures. Yeah. And then you take into account that a lot of these shops have older technicians and, and please don't misunderstand. I don't think that's a bad thing, but we never prepared for that. 
we never prepared for that 55 or 60 year old technician. How can we help him and further his life as he gets older? And as that technology changes, how do we continue to have a place for him and continue to train him? Now, lots of guys can learn that. But I know, you know, when I talk to my dad, you know, we, in, in Dutch, you know, he's one of the moderators for ASOG. We pick on him all the time because the guy still has a flip phone. <laughs> Why don't you upgrade to something nicer? And he's like, I don't want to. I want to use this phone. This is the phone I like. <laughs> well, technicians are the same way. Sometimes they don't want to upgrade to that newest technology. You know, you and I have talked a little bit about statistics. You you had told me about some staggering statistics uh, that you had. And and where do we stand as an industry right now as far as the numbers go? Yeah, I think the the numbers that Tanner shared with you are very accurate of what we see on a an everyday basis, right? And the one thing I, I before I skim over, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you just said right there, which is finding a spot for that veteran tech that's been around for a while and maybe doesn't have the physical ability to stay in the shop anymore. I think that's a huge concern because there, there's a big potential for a brain dump coming up here soon, right? <laughs> when right. when these baby boomers really start to check out and there's nobody there to replace them or somebody with very limited experience, some of the simple, simple stuff, you know, we're, we're craving like these really highly educated, highly talented people, but we might get to the point to where, and, and not to do like a, I don't want to throw like a scare through the industry or anything like that, but, but re- really, I think when those, when those folks decide to retire and rightfully so they've, they've earned it. Uh, I worry about even some of the, some of the really easy and simple stuff. And being able to do a good quality job on, you know, something as simple as like, uh, you know, doing an inspection or, you know, doing break jobs and not having the talent there for, for something that simple. Um, so I, granted, I, I get like, we can probably find and train those people. Um, but to me, that's a big piece of where shops need to be a little bit more forward thinking right now, right? Is when you're planning out your shop and you're looking five years down the road, and I, I I see it all the time where a shop will just kind of sit on their hands and then say, oh my goodness, Billy's 65 years old. <laughs> right. right. It it's not up on them, right? It, it really does. It really does. And it's hard because you're trying to put out fires, right? You're trying to do your job and you're trying to be really effective at your job. Uh, but having to put out fires can be a real challenge. And and then that's when that stuff sneaks up on you. And all of a sudden, you know, Billy goes from 57 to 65 and seemingly overnight. And, right. uh, and you're in a really, really bad spot then. And and it's time for a change. And, you know, I, I'll share a little bit of a, a personal story. I, my family owns another business. Um, and we actually had an employee pass away last night. Oh, and, no. and not I'm in the sorry. shop. And, and, you know, this, there's so many levels to that. Um, you know, you, you obviously care about them and you care about their family and you care about what just happened. Um, you, you also, as a business owner, you have to be responsible for the business. You've got other mouths to feed. You have other staff members to take care of. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and 
I think we can all safely say that when we begin to get older, right, e- even me at 35, I'm starting to see people I know in the obituaries that I went yeah. to school with. Yeah. And I think that it becomes more prevalent as we age. Those are things that we have to think about. And, and you know, the reality is, is nobody wants to hear that. No one wants to think about it. Nobody wants to deal with it. We always put it to the back of our mind and we say, ah, oh, that, you know, uh, what's the chances of that? It's one in a thousand, right? Yeah. It happens. And, you know, I, I think it's very important that we are aware and and know kind of where we stand with the staff that's in the shop and we have a way to protect them. We have a way to provide something additional for them as we go from there, moving past that technician role, right? We do age out. We get away from that to the point that we can't do that task anymore. What's the next role for that technician? And who's going to fill his shoes? Because the numbers aren't there. Yeah. I, I want to add, I want to pick your brain on that, Lucas. And Mm -hmm. when you look at a typical independent shop and say, for this example, a one location, say five techs, maybe a service manager and a service writer, maybe like an admin or something like that, maybe a CSR, I don't know. But what, what do you see as opportunities for that next step for them? Well, I, you know, that's a tough one, right? Because it's something that we talk about a lot on the podcast is, and, and, you know, I was talking to Matt Fonslow just a few minutes ago before we started about that, because we were talking about apprentices and, and saying one of the problems that I believe we have in our industry is, is there is no career path, right? You can be a GS, you can be what we consider a, a C, I guess. You can be a B, you can be an A, you can be a service advisor. Right. What are the opportunities beyond that? And one of the things I've always looked to do with our shop is creating create an educational opportunity for those that are in the shop. Do you want to be a shop owner? Do you want to be a service advisor? Do you want to move to a diagnostician or do you want to be a GS? Let's create Mm -hmm. pathways for them that fits what they see for themselves, if you will. But really, in in a sense, I believe that it is our responsibility to provide them lifelong employment, and then have a situation where this older tech can come in and mentor and train the next generation, right? So let's yeah. say that we've got an older tech, right? He's, he's grown and he started as this GS tech in his, in his teens or 20s. He's come up and he's grown into a B-tech position. He says, listen, I, I want to take this career to the max. I want to take it as far as I can take it, but I don't want to be in ownership and I don't want to be in sales. I want to be a technician. Mm -hmm. So as he grows and ages through that process, I think we should have systems and processes in the shop that automatically lend to him being a mentor and a leader to the younger techs in the shop and create a system where he's teaching them and growing them up. He's still profitable because he's taking this young guy who wouldn't know to watch for this situation, who wouldn't know, hey, listen, don't do that, or you should do this this way. And he's taken this young guy who would take three to five years to become a profitable technician and helping him become more efficient, more productive and get that return on investment sooner. Right. So I think there's tons of opportunity. Same in the service advisor, use them to help train the next generation. Now the problem becomes 
eventually, you know, if you have a business that's a 60 year business, you start to get a lot of guys that are, you know, so there's got to be some plans and some systems. What do you see? I mean, how do we do that? Where do we go from here with that? A couple of things that I would echo 100% of what you said. And and one primarily that stuck out, I'm actually doing a a presentation or part of a roundtable for the ASA X50 conference as we tape this um, uh, in a couple of days. And my one of my sections that I'm talking about is career paths and career plans and trying to trying to really lay that out for our teams. And so my biggest piece and the thing that you said that stuck out the most to me right there was that the communication side, right? Talking to your people and and right. really being able to align that with your vision too, right? So if your vision is to grow and say you're gonna, you know you're gonna stay one location. But you know, maybe it's going to be a struggle to find technicians. Maybe you do really turn that person into uh, that mentor type role, or you turn them into, uh, you know, you you turn your shop into a training powerhouse, right? And talk about an an attractive place to go work. If if I'm going to go to a place that's going to just make me an absolute monster in terms of being able to put out work and and just being really really good and talented at my job. Uh, you know, I think shops all the time are looking for ways to stand out to that, you know, that younger technician. To me, that's as good as it gets. Having the ability to to walk into a position where you do have somebody to hold your hand. I, I talk about it all the time. I know ASE puts out that statistic that I believe 42% of technicians leave the industry or leave the shop they're in. I shouldn't say industry, the shop they're in within the first two years. So right. we talk about this big shortage and yet half of the, almost half of the people that we bring in, we're not even keeping around for a couple of years. And, and so that tells me there's some issue with the way that we're training or onboarding or really getting them comfortable with us. To me, it takes some time to get a young tech comfortable. And, and even, um, you know, I was down at, at uh, my dad's shop a couple of weeks ago and they've got a young tech down there that is going to be a really, really good tech coming out of tech school. He's done uh, this spring and he doesn't have the confidence yet. So what that creates is him running around the shop like a chicken with his head off and, and trying to look busy. And I was in that same position when I was his age, right? Like I was just like, right. oh my gosh, I, I got to, I always have to look like I'm busy. I have to, you know, just be running. And I was far more focused on looking like I was busy than the actual production that I was putting out. And so I think that comes from some level of confidence issues with a young tech. And to me, there is such an opportunity for uh, an, an elder statesman in our industry to be able to mentor, hold the hand of, uh, really be able to coach somebody. And granted, not every veteran tech is going to fill that role. There's some people that just right. would have no interest in that. But I see a big, big opportunity for uh, for trying to help out those young techs. And you know, if, if maybe in your shop, instead of the 42%, you're down to 10%, you start to actually build a pipeline and you start to grow your own and and you produce some really, really good techs and show them the way that you learn. Right. I, I, I think a lot of young techs come into a shop and they'll just take on the personality of another tech in the shop. 
and it's maybe that person that they look up to or that they feel most comfortable around. But if that person's not doing any extra training or they're not doing any, you know, anything to set that example, right? why are they going to do anything different? Exactly. And, and you know, I, I think that we see a lot of that. And the other thing is, is it very interesting. I, I, I was talking to Matt about this just a few minutes ago. Um, and we were talking about, they were, they were looking at hiring a tech and, and it really came down to this situation where it almost sounds like it was an ego issue. Hmm. This guy wanted to come in and be the top dog in the shop. He wanted to come in and be the guy who everybody looked up to. He wanted to be the one that everybody went to with a question. And he recognized that the shop that he had just applied for was not going to be that, right? Mm. He wasn't interested in this, this thing where maybe he was interested in training. I'm not saying he wasn't, but maybe he wasn't so interested in, in being lesser than someone else. Now, this shop is not like that, right? Their shop doesn't do that. Everybody's on the same playing field. Doesn't matter if you're a GS and A and, and we're all on the same page. We're all on the same. Love that. Yes. And, um, so we were talking about that and and talking about the fact that ego plays a big role. And, you know, I've had an egotistical tech in my shop before. And the way that he acted and the way that he treated others could really run off some new talent, right? And and others didn't want to be around this person. They said, hi, you know, I'm good. I work by myself. And And I think that's sad because the guy could have, really been a great mentor and had a ton of opportunity to teach. He didn't want to teach. He wanted mm-hmm. to keep those hours for himself. He wanted to grow himself, but it was very selfish uh, in in nature. So I think that's something that we have to take into account. Are we building a culture in the shop that eliminates that thought process? Or are we building a culture that is for us all growing in the same direction? And we're all in this together. It doesn't matter if you're a GS. I'm an A-Tech. I'm here to help you, right? I'm here to help you grow. I'm here to help you learn. Hey, we're going to throw some hard stuff at you too, because you've got to learn how to do it at some point. Here you go, right? So yeah. I think that's kind of my thought process on it is, is do we have an ego problem in our industry? I, I think there's oh, and sorry Lucas did you want to add something else there because I I think this is great and one of my big passions and and when it comes to this industry is yes I do think there's at times maybe an ego piece to this especially with the really really good people um, and they fought and worked their butts off to be able to get to that point so I get it but one of the things I'm really big on is trying to find find the right fit for the right person at the right time, right? And I think as shops, you're so used to looking at technical skill only, right? And and I think as you're looking for that technical skill and as even that technical skill gets harder to find of really what you're craving, it ends up in you taking, and I say this all the time, where shops get themselves in a lot of trouble when they have a full shop and then they just stop actively looking for somebody, right? Because what right. happens is then I had this happen to me. Uh, I was running a shop and uh, feeling fat and happy that I had this thing tuned up and, you know, it was running like a well-oiled machine. And then one of my good techs got in a car accident and he was out for right. nine months. And 
that sends you scrambling. And because the work doesn't slow down, the work's still coming in. You're still anticipating that the work's going to be there. And for me, that's when bad hires happen. That's when hires to just fill the spot. Yes, panic hiring, which then results in just bad culture fits. That person that you just talked about that was kind of a cancer within the shop, that happens every day. I mean, these these shops, and and then they worry or they wonder why pe- other people start leaving, right? Some of their really good, reliable, like people that they love uh, start maybe not acting the same or start acting out. And one bad apple in a shop can change the entire personality of the shop. And uh, and that's where I, I caution shops so much to always be looking and and be be looking proactively so you don't have to make that rush higher and that mistake that sometimes happens because you're just trying to find the next warm body to come get some cars out the door. Right. Well, and, and you know, I, I think that one of the biggest things that I see, one of the biggest things that I hear pretty frequently is, is that A, you know, and, and David brings this up all the time. He says, look, a lot of shops are out here looking for all ATEX and, and they couldn't even fulfill the needs of an ATEX, right? right. They, they could barely hire one ATEX. They really need a BTEC and, and maybe a B plus or lots of different variables here that, that they need to understand what they're looking for because a lot of shops don't know what they're looking for. And, and then let's take it to the next level. And I, I think I've learned this from David because David does this amazing hiring class, right? I, I've watched him develop it and I've learned through him how to hire people. And one of the things that I've really noted about the way he does this is the fact it's not like everybody else's, mm-hmm. right? His hiring program or the way that he teaches to hire people is not the same as everybody else is doing it. It's learn how to write copy. It's learn how to put the the... the the correct information in right, in front of the right person. It's it's learning how to interview, right? And I think the big part of this is we have to learn a new skill, right? And and mm-hmm. it, it always comes back to this. And and maybe you can see this because you know your dad was in in a similar situation. We always start life as a technician. Not always, most of the time. We start life as a technician. We're working on cars. We get busy. The shop's full. We're slammed. We got to do something different. And so we either go up front or we continue to wrench and we hire somebody to be up front or we hire another technician. Right. Yep. And then we get even busier. We don't have any management skills. We're still <laughs> trying to steer the ship from under the hood of a car. That doesn't work. Trust me. I know I've tried it many, many times. <laughs> and we never develop our skills as an owner. And, and that's one of the most important things that we have to bring up on the podcast is, is we have to develop ownership and management skills. You cannot do this as a technician. I'm not saying technicians can't be owners. I'm not saying technicians can't develop the skills. But I am saying that if you want to own a repair shop, you also have to develop those skills mm-hmm. so that when you need to hire this technician, you have that plethora of, of ability and information to pull from, right? What, what do you see when you go to hire folks? I mean, what, what is your perspective or, or when you go to help a shop hire folks, are you seeing all the ads look the exact same as everybody else's? 
<laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it, it it kind of walks directly into, you know, we created a platform because of that. That That's what Wrenchway is all about, is trying to figure out a different way to stand, up, stand out. And I don't want to kind of promote our product by any means on the podcast, but that's exactly what it was, was you would go to, uh, say you went to Chicago and you put in a Indeed search for automotive technician and you'd have like 1500 jobs come back and they all kind of looked the same, right? Some were better written than others, but there was no way for you to stand out other than just trying to write better text. And so that was, uh, you know, a, a big concern with us and where the idea for Wrenchway even came about was trying to, you know, figure out a different way. And, and, you know, it, it's so impactful when you said the thing about, you know, there's good shops, uh, good techs working in bad shops and bad shops that employ good techs. And I, uh, th- th- I think I came to the realization when I really started seeing the industry as a whole that there's a really, really wide and, and different, I, I, what's the best way to say this? That there's just such a, such a difference between a well-run shop and a not well-run shop. And I think, you know, over my years in the industry, that's something that I've learned over and over because I was just so used to, I, you know, grow up in my dad's shop. That's what I assumed everybody did. And, and once you go out and you see kind of some of the bad, um, it makes you appreciate the good a lot more. And, you know, that's when, when we look at this and I, I think a big concern as we're moving forward is not only trying to get more people into the industry, but keeping the ones that we already have here. And I'm not just talking about a tech leaving one shop to go to another shop. I'm talking about them feeling so bad about the industry that they just flat out leave the the business altogether. And so that to me is where (laughs) we had such an innate desire to have the best shops out there stand out because we want to show good techs that there are really, really good places to work at. And not every single one, if you're in a bad experience right now, is like that. There's people with better management. And and I do think at the core, I don't know what the percentage is of shops that are run by former technicians. It's a lot, right? It's it's. I would say the majority of them are run by people that started their lives as, te- as techs. And right. That's where I think somebody like I don't uh, do you know Brian Sump at all? I don't out in Colorado. Sure. Uh, so he's he's like been in Ratchet and Wrench magazine and he's he's given some presentations, but he didn't come from this industry. I did a podcast, uh, our podcast with him once, and it, it brought some kind of fresh perspective, right? And, and really, it's because he didn't really know how to work on his car, so he had to figure out how to manage a shop so that <laughs> he could direct right. the people that could and. And I think sometimes our biggest strengths as owners are knowing how to do the jobs too good. Because if you don't feel like anybody else in the shop can do it nearly as good as you, you end up reverting back to the technical side. When you know, I I give a lot of credit to uh, the book uh, E Myth E Myth Revisited. Yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. um, yeah. Just you know, the working on your business rather than in your business. And that book, the funny part about that book is even though it's about, what was it about? Like a a bakery and this woman running yep. a bakery. Or, and in that book, I was telling my dad this, this is like 10 years ago. I'm like, 
this is literally the story of your business life. Like everything from starting off working all the hours and then finally hiring somebody on and really beginning to trust that person and then handing it all over and then just trying to do whatever you can around the shop and then having that person do you wrong <laughs> and and moving and, and just reading that book by Michael Gerber like it it was uh it was like reading my dad's entire history but if you would have applied it in a shop fashion right and i right. think that's that's a big big thing that we see or that i see anyways um of of where yeah, I think we could do a better job and and do a better job at coaching people. And let me ask you this, Lucas, with the, I think your mentality is a little bit different on the training side, right? Where if somebody has the desire to become a, a shop owner, you embrace that, right? Whereas Absolutely. yeah, I think there's a lot of shops that don't. I think there's a lot of shops that hear, oh my goodness, this person's going to be my competitor. And they shut them down. I, listen, I, I think it takes uh, it takes a few times of of really thinking through the process, right? And and the reality is is you're either going to give someone a stepping stone and help them up, or you're going to try and hold them down. And uh, Dutch always laughs at me because there there was a video um, by a famous football coach that's turned announcer, and he was talking about some some current events a while back. And, and he said, I'll never forget what my dad said. He said his dad was a world war two veteran and that his dad always asked him, he said, before you make a decision, trying to determine, is it going to help or is it going to hurt? Do what's best for other people. Always do what's best for other people. And so I think that if we really think, think it through, right, is this going to help someone or hurt someone? Um, I think if we do the right thing, we always come out on top. And, and what I mean by that is this, let's say you're a technician and you come talk to me and you say, Hey, um, I'd love to come work for you, but I'm thinking about starting my own shop one day. Now, would a, would I rather help my industry by teaching you the right way to run a shop, B, build an alliance with you, right? So you understand specifically within my shop that, Hey, I'm not going to take advantage of a client. I'm not going to do something to hurt a, a client. I'm going to do the right thing for them. So you're not going to be talking bad about me. And and teaching them through the process how to charge appropriately. Right. Yes. So I don't have somebody down the street undercutting me, taking advantage of of my clients in another way. They think they're doing what's right because they're cheaper. They can't take care of the client. And and to all of this I say, yes, there is a concern. They could learn who your clients are. They could they could potentially try and uh, take those clients. I think you need to have protections in place. But I also believe in giving people stepping stones. Help them, grow them, improve them, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's the human element. We're all in this together. Yes. And I think if we can help grow other people and make them better, you know, what was it Zig Ziglar said? If you help enough uh, other people get what they want, you'll get what you want. Yes. And I, I, that's just my strategy in life. Now, all of that being said, I would much rather come up with an ownership strategy that, and, and this is something that, that I'm not at this point yet, but I'm working on it. I would really like to get to the point that my technicians and my service advisors and those folks own the shop. 
right? I love it. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how it works, and I don't know how to put it on paper. I've not figured that out yet. But I believe that that is the ultimate buy-in in culture. That is the ultimate buy-in in quality, right? It's not yeah. me trying to line my pockets. It's me trying to have a decent living. It's me trying to provide for my people and create a lifelong career for them. But it's also me making sure that they are doing what's best for their clients. I think that's huge. And I I think people, one, I love your philosophy because I, I think very much the same way. Um, you know, I've had people come to me and say, hey, you know what? I want to start a technician recruiting company. And I said, okay, like there's plenty of space. Like <laughs> There's a big need out there. Uh, I'll try to help you out. On the other side of that, I think that the same, it's the same mentality with shops that, you know, when they hear that and they, they go red because they're like, oh my goodness, there's, these people are going to go, you know, rogue and they're going to take my customers and everything like that. I feel like there are a lot of the same shops that are like, I'm not going to promote my texts on my website or I'm not going to promote them on social media right. because I'm afraid somebody's going to come take them. And when I have shops tell me that, I stop them and I say, listen, my opinion here, but I think you're focused on the wrong thing. Focus on treating your people so well that it doesn't matter who knows who they are. And and for the most part, if they're, it's a pretty small world when it comes down to it. People know other people. Um, but to me, that that's such a such a like a mistake by a lot of shops if they're if they're afraid to put their people out there to show them public pats on the back uh, or to maybe show their career path that might be their own shop. And you know, I look at it the same way you do, Lucas, in that you know at some point, and something I've talked to to others about is okay. Say if you've got that your that key member of your shop that you can tell wants to open his or her own shop. Why don't you have a conversation with them and talk about investing in the shop? Why don't you talk about how you can get involved to help them make that happen and help them live out their dreams? And then it's a strategic conversation as far as how do our shops work together? And, and similar to what you said, how do you, how do you create that collaboration that you can make one really, really big, impactful business where everybody's happy? Yeah. And, and I mean, maybe it's a, a bigger vision, right? Maybe it's, um, <laughs> I, I hate to say an altruistic view that, that people are, are looking at the best interest in others. But I, I truly believe that if we can move in a direction where we're truly caring and, and taking care of our people, caring for and taking care of our people, we can see improvement in our industry. And, yes. and one of the issues is, is that that a lot of these texts, if you go read the comments on the YouTube feed, if you go read some of the comments that we get in the technician groups when we post a question, you know, there's very, very few technicians who would say, yeah, I would go into that field. How many would recommend to their child that they would go into this field, right? That might be an indication of a little bit of a problem. And Big I think problem. it's something that we've got to work on as a whole We've got to get this turned around. How do you do that? You start treating your people correctly. Now, mm -hmm. it, it, I, look, I get it. That's not going to happen everywhere. And, and you know, we were on a, a, another podcast the other day um, and talking about the generational differences. And you look at, at someone like Dutch and Dutch is like, look, I, I'll be your friend, 
but you're here to do a job. You're here to come in. You're here to help me make money. I'll take care of you. I'll train you. I'll teach you. I'll do everything in the world I can for you. I don't want to hear any bitching. I don't want to hear any whining. I don't want (laughs) to, right? I'm not putting up with that. I don't have to do that. And then you hear the next generation and, and, you know, uh, my dad always picks on some of the younger guys that, that work for the other business because he says they, they, you know, he said at my generation, uh, we live to work. And he said, this generation works to live. He mm-hmm. said, you know, we've, we've had three people quit in the last two months because it interfered with their video game time. <laughs> and, and I think it's a clear indication that we are looking at a different, um, thought process coming into the market over the next 10 to 15 years. We're going to have to to transform a little bit to meet that demand. Now there's still going to be the the guys who live to work, right? Yeah. But I think there's less of them now than there were. Yeah, and I think that's that's where getting involved with with schools is so important because the better quality of person we can put into a school and get them into our business and get them into just being interested in the industry. To me, that's where you have a lot of impact, right? Because I think we we sit on our hands a little bit and expect the tech schools to go out and just, you know, do the recruiting, try to fill the seats in in their schools. But we could do ourselves a favor by going and talking with students. And, you know, I, I just finished up with Skills USA up here in Wisconsin. And I, I'll tell you what, the the younger people that I talked to in those conversations were really, really good. Uh, like I just, I, I mean, very mature. Uh, they were very smart and granted you're probably talking the best of the best because it's, it's, uh, you know, a competition you're trying to win it. But I was, I, every year I do this, I get, I I'm so impressed by the young people that are out there. And I think we need to just make sure we're helping these schools get really quality people in the schools. And, and not just be, you know, the the bad kids that the guidance counselor doesn't want to deal with, right? And I think that's where educating the schools, educating guidance counselors, educating heck tech ed teachers, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. let them know that, hey, you know what? This is a great industry with some huge opportunities. And as as this industry grows and technology gets more advanced there's only going to be more opportunities and more opportunities for extremely talented people. Because once they get in here and they show off what they can do, I I mean, the sky's the limit. Well, you know, look, here's the deal is that, that for instance, our local high school has probably one of the most advanced programs I've ever seen. Hmm. The, the, the classroom is phenomenal. Right. You you don't even see this in the high end community colleges or the high end tech schools. And and, you know, I I think so much of it starts with the instructor because it's that energy. And and what I mean by that is this, is we have a fantastic instructor. Now, the previous instructor was a great instructor. He was extremely intelligent. Everybody looked up to him and, and he did a great job with the class. But as he aged, he kind of got to that point that he was thinking, "Ah, I don't know how much more of this I have left. And so the new guy comes in and he absolutely kills it. He gets engagement. He starts um, 
uh, kind of like projects that the kids can get engaged in. And he works with the kids in the shop and, and he says, look, we're going to focus on things they really need to know. We're going to, we're going to get NATEF down pat. Don't worry. We've got that under control, <laughs> but we're going to get them active in the shop because that's where this passion comes from or from this, this is where that energy comes from that, you know, I, I still remember when I was, um, you know, with my dad working on a car out here and, and, you know, at night and cold outside and and (laughs) learning the basics of working on a car. And I think those are the best times of my life, right? That I I loved them. And, and I look back and I think, man, they're just fantastic. And and at the time I probably didn't feel the exact same way. (laughs) Looking back, just amazing. Think of that. If we can build that experience, if we can build that uh, relationship and, and, you know, the teacher in the high school, he always talks. He said, look, yeah. I, I don't care if everybody in this shop goes on to be a, a technician or a mechanic. I don't care about that. He said, I don't have enough time to make you a technician. He said, I have enough time to make you a good mechanic. I, I have enough time to get your feet under you. Mm-hmm. I have enough time to make you safe, to teach you what safety looks like. I have enough time to build a little bit of passion to get you fired up. I don't care. If you go on to be a mechanic, a technician, a service advisor, I don't care if you go on to do something else. He said, what I care about is you learning the critical thinking skills and the everyday practicality that you learn in this class. Now, at one of the last NATEF meetings, we're we're all down there and uh, I happened to see the guidance counselor floating around and I thought, well, that's that's odd. And uh, we w- we had talked about it, and, and the guidance counselor had previously sent challenged kids down there to that shop. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand. I think that's okay. But I do think that we had this idea that we're going to send them to an easy class. We're going to send them to something that, that they're not going to be challenged. And unfortunately, many, in my opinion, of the guidance counselors had been sending kids to the automotive classes or to the trades classes when they said, I don't know what else I can do. Yep. And they never, ever looked at that class and said, holy cow, that's advanced. Holy cow, that's technical. That that engages kids on a whole new level. That's teaching business ownership. That's teaching practical thought skills. That's right. They never thought about that. And to watch this guidance counselor come down there and get fired up and energized and say, hey, I've got some really great students for this class was amazing because it's something that you don't see enough of. All too often, they look at it like it's the dungeon. You've performed poorly. You've caused us problems. We're going to put you down there in that class. So if there's any guidance counselors listening, I doubt there are, please (laughs) take note I think it's really important that you look at these classes as actual developmental classes. They they can really improve their lives by being in one of these classes, even if they don't go on to work in the automotive field, right? I so you again hit on so many great points, and I think it starts with the education of a guidance counselor, of a parent, of uh, the student themselves, and in most cases, the student has done some research on YouTube and watch some pretty cool things and is engaged. But then if they're a good student, 
it's few and far in between that they get steered to our industry, right? Like they're going to get right. steered to be, go be an engineer or, uh, you know, go be an accountant. Uh, but you, the, the other point that you hit on there that I, I always tell people, if I could go back and talk to myself in high school, I would always question why I needed to learn um, algebra. Not so right. much geometry. I like geometry because I, I like to race cars and that was always kind of something that I could relate to. But I would question the classes that I'm like, what, what am I getting out of this? If I'm going to go be a tech, what am I getting out of it? And when you said the critical thinking skills, that is so impactful. And, and if there's any young people listening out there, that is that is the one thing that is just so, so vital is just make sure – you develop those critical thinking skills and that you, you really uh, understand that piece. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it goes so far, right. It's not just when it comes to working on a car and, and, and I think that in so many ways, this kind of gives you the automotive classes gives you such a much bigger perspective of the world as a whole. Um, and, and, (laughs) you know, I, I think that, um, I want to say this very nicely. I think sometimes we come into the world with unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And um, what I really appreciate about the high school teacher is, is he is very adamant about setting realistic expectations. And it's not just about, you know, you're not going to come into the field and have a job making $60,000 next year. By the way, my local Burger King's hiring their, their, they've got signs up everywhere saying that, um, they can't find help. So it's drive through only. And they're starting people at 1650 an hour at Burger mm. King. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we've got folks worrying about what the minimum wage increase is going to do to the, to their, uh, payroll. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, uh, I, I guess my point is that when we take a step back and we look at, at the reality situation, when we get into the real world, whether it's knowing how to change a flat tire, uh, knowing how to uh, check your oil in your car. Those are very, very important things. Yes, they are. Even if you don't go on to become a technician, I think those are things that you should definitely know how to do. If nothing else, you're going to get that in the automotive class. Um, so I, I think it's it's such an important part of our education system. All of the skilled trades are. I really think it's so important. I do too. I'm I'm really, really passionate about that side. I I am very passionate about holding industry accountable too, right? Is that it's not just one person that's going to solve this entire thing and everything's going to be hunky dory after that. It's we've all got to get involved. We've got to be better at getting involved with schools. We've got to be better at really promoting ourselves as professionals, right? And that means maybe the way you dress when you go to your kid's ball game or, uh, when you're going out to dinner, you know, when, when people can start to see you in a different light, I think that allows those labor rates to creep up a little bit. Yeah. I think it, you know, it, it promotes bringing better, you know, not to say we don't, we have a load of really talented people in this business, but we need a lot more. So yeah, ra- rather than, you know, I drove through, I drove by a, uh, a Bridgestone in Madison, Wisconsin today. And there was a tech outside with grease head to toe smoking a cigarette out in front of the bay. 
And I just don't know that people are driving by and telling their kid, hey, go be that guy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you hear me say it all the time. Is it time that we uh, improve in the professionalism area? Lots yeah. of professional shops, right? But also lots of hole-in-the-wall shops. Uh, so let me ask you this, and 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 this is going to be a controversial, hard to answer question. Let's just put it out. There. <laughs> I love these ones, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about on the podcast is there are some shops that are going to have to close. Yeah, right. We know this, and and you know, it's it it took me a while to get there. It it took me a while to get comfortable even saying that. Until a situation happened, we we had a scholarship where we gave uh, some folks the ability to go to some training events, and one went to a training event, and they were really financially squeezed before the training event. And when they uh, went to the training event, things improved. They got some money. Things were looking up in the shop. The shop took on a whole new professional level, and one day. I got a message saying, hey, I, th- I think I've decided to close. And yeah. a lot of folks said, um, well, didn't we fail? Wasn't that a failure? And I, I can't help but look back and say, you know, this was somebody who was struggling to feed his family. This was someone that had no way out, right? And through a little bit of training, we gave him the opportunity to make this decision on his terms. Mm. Right. The ability to say, I'm going to close my doors and I'm going to walk away. Now, it sucks. Somebody's out of the industry. Don't misunderstand. But would we rather put him through a training course that gives him the opportunity to say, this is not what I thought it was. Instead of devaluing the industry as a whole. Because he doesn't know how to run a business. Should some shops close, Jay? Yes. Uh, the, the short answer is yes. And just seeing the diversity of shops that we do. I, and when I say that, like, I think there's some level of, to me, there's some level of consolidation happening right now anyways. Uh, you right. see a lot of baby boomers wanting to get out of their business, similar to the individual that you're talking about. They want to get out of it on their own terms. But when they try there's nobody there to take the business on. Right. And, and I think, you know, that is such a, such a tough thing. And I have all the respect in the world for shop owners and what they go through on a day-to-day basis and how much they have to manage and, and keeping up with technology, keeping up with the people, just, there's so much that goes into it that you're, you know, at some point you're probably going to get burnt out. And, yeah. And that's where, you know, having the business be able to run on its own, even if you're not there, could be hugely helpful. You could keep it running for quite a few more years without putting in full-time, you know, effort. But you've got to be a good shop. You've got to be one that isn't looking for cheap ways out. You're not looking for, uh, you know, to hire somebody. You know, we we had a, a shop call up and wanted to sign up. Uh, and I believe we didn't actually take the job on, but he was like bragging that he was paying $5 an hour below market market value in his, in his city. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, I'm good. I'll pass. Yeah. And then wondering why they can't get somebody, you know, and 
so when you say should are there shops that should close i think absolutely um and i think there's a variety of different reasons why uh i think you're you're already in both the independent world in the dealership world um a little bit of everything you're already seeing that consolidation right i mean look at these big auto groups on the dealership side who they're buying up they're buying up they're not just buying up one store operations they're buying up 10 12 20 30 40 store operations that have been around for 100 years you know like but they also know how to run a really good business and and so right. and and sometimes you know it's debatable on how well the shop runs at times but you know there's no doubt that they're they're able to make money um but you know, I think we're seeing it on the independent side as well. If you look at what Carl Icahn's doing, and and you know, being able to go buy clusters of independent shops and essentially start a network off of it, you know, I, I see some of that, and that's not always a bad thing either. I mean, there there is some bad behind it, but but there it could give somebody an out that they didn't pre- previously have, and I don't think you can fault them for that either. Right. That's very true. So let me ask you this in closing. Yeah. Next 10 years, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? Worse. Worse. I, 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 unless we change our attitudes as an industry and really start working together and attacking this thing, I don't see what's all of a sudden going to, to flip this on its side, right? Like, it it truly is like if you've got the boomers going out and not enough people going coming in, which already is a smaller generation than the boomers. I, I don't know. I, I I just think it's simple math, right? Like it's it's probably not going to get better anytime soon, and that's where I'd encourage any shop owner out there, any shop manager, to really really get involved from a community level. Uh, and and really really focus on running your business, operating and and working on your business rather than just trying to put fires out and working in your business every day. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app and on YouTube. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.